Hello, I'm Hunt Etheridge. I'm an award-winning dating and relationship expert, TV personality, coach, matchmaker, writer, entrepreneur, husband, father, bon vivant, and all-around swell guy. I've been in the love industry for over 15 years and have been following all the ups and downs of today's dating dilemmas. I teach my clients that dating is a mix of biology, psychology, sociology, and anthropology. To understand our motivations, the motivations of the person sitting across from you, and the motivations of society at large, we have to delve into different aspects of it at different times to understand the machinations behind it so we can maximize our benefits. To keep myself updated, I'm constantly reading studies on all sorts of topics that can help me better understand my clients and what's going on out there. I've pulled together some of the most brilliant minds from across different fields to share what the data is telling us and how that can impact each and every one of our lives. This is Hunt for Relationship Science. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hunt for Relationship Science. I am very excited today for my guest because I have a slightly parasocial relationship with her, even though she doesn't know this. Going through the pandemic when a lot of us had nothing to do, I discovered a lot of her studies and voraciously read them and some of her uh, compatriots as well, too. And so it was a big part of my pandemic time. It was this person that existed, um, and I was reading all about her and her studies, and I was fascinated. So I'm very excited to be able to introduce her today and be able to talk to her for my first time as well, too. Uh, Dr. Francesca Lubrowski is a psychologist. A psychologist who studies how mating, hormones, social culture context can shape and influence social attitudes. Born and raised in Italy, Luberti became passionate about the study of human behavior when she moved to the U.S. It's a weird place. Where she completed a B.S. in evolutionary anthropology at UCLA and then an M.A. in climate and society at Columbia University. Then she completed her Ph.D. in evolutionary psychology at UNSW Sydney, Australia. Luberti's work investigated the effect of mating and mating-related factors on socio-political orientation. We'll get into all what that means. Dr. Luberti is currently working as a postdoc researcher in the Social Neuroendocrinology Lab at Nipissing University in North Bay, Canada, Ontario. In this role, she examines how changes in testosterone concentrations can also affect social attitudes. There we go. Hi. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. That was a very detailed introduction. Thank you. Absolutely. I make sure, and you know, like I said, you and I have been somewhat trading emails for a year and a half, two years now. So I'm excited that yeah. our schedules uh, could work too. I talked to Candace Blake. She just had a, a baby. She's on maternity leave. I, I'll get next year. I'll get. Yeah. I'll talk to her next year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. I've always been a study junkie, and obviously in 2020, we all had a lot of extra time, so I really started um, diving a little bit more into all sorts of studies along relationships, happiness, loneliness, dating, incels, things like that as well, too, and of course, came across um, your studies, and so uh, it... it, um, shows me, I mean, it's, it says the same thing that I see in my, in my everyday life, too. So it's always interesting to see. I mean, there are lies, damned lies, and statistics. I'm aware of this, too. But it is also nice to see some science and some studies being able to sort of quantify what is going on out there. Um, because you sort of need to know what's out there first, what's the landscape. And if you know the landscape, now what do I do with this landscape? Yeah. So I'm going to read the title, and then I want you to just give me your summation of what the um, what's about. I've got I've got notes and highlights and stains <laughs> all over this thing. Um, so the study is called "Changes in Positive Effect Due to Popularity in an Experimental Dating Context Influence Some of Men's but Not Women's Sociopolitical Attitudes." So with yeah. that word salad. Yes. What what is what is it about for the people that don't know anything about this sort of stuff? So it's it's really was about 
checking experimentally if it's true that people, even after receiving uh, some very brief feedback from people of the opposite sex, and these were all heterosexual people, uh, whether that would affect the social political attitudes that they uh, that they hold, and in particular in this case, we were looking at attitudes like uh, beliefs about gender roles, beliefs about an acceptance of casual sex, and we also had a couple of questions about uh, more general social political attitudes, like um, uh, whether we should increase the minimum wage and access to healthcare. Um, so. It was really about, like, again, you mentioned it, like, for example, incel men, mostly men, I guess, incels, mostly men, um, but women as well. There's all this sort of talk online, even more so recently, about uh, experiences on the dating market and how that affects um, how people view the opposite sex. Again, in, in if they are heterosexual, it would be the opposite sex. And so we wanted to see with a more or less controlled experiment whether it would be true that people who receive more positive feedback from opposite sex peers, again, heterosexual people who receive more positive feedback, uh, would report slightly different attitudes than people who receive more negative uh, feedback. And in this case, so we had, uh, I think, over 230 participants in the end come in, uh, both men and women. Again, they were all heterosexual. <laughs> I keep repeating that because I guess it's important. Like, and I wish oh, yeah, we absolutely. could expand this to other yeah, identities and mm-hmm. other sexual orientations as well. But for to make it simple, we just uh, uh, limited that to heterosexual people. And we had five male actors and uh, five female actresses record uh, pre-record before we collect any data from the real participants, uh, one um, positive feedback video and one negative uh, feedback video. And why so? Because we had participants uh, coming in the lab and we made them believe that they would interact uh, with five opposite sex peers uh, in real time. So we told them to record a brief video introducing themselves and talking about themselves. And then we told them that this video would be sent to another Australian university uh, where it would be watched by five opposite sex peers. And then they would send very brief um, feedback on whether they liked the person or not based on their self-introduction video. And then we randomly assigned, this was just an ostensible story, wasn't true. Uh, We randomly assigned these participants to receive negative or positive feedback from each of these five opposite sex peers. And then after participants received this feedback, uh, we asked them all these questions about what they thought, for example, about casual sex, whether it's okay for women to have casual sex, for example, how long would they wait to have sex in a relationship? Um, And again, a couple of questions about gender roles. And so... um, because of this uh, experimental setup, uh, we could uh, conclude with a little bit more confidence that it was probably the feedback that uh, um, influenced the responses if there was a difference between people who were more popular versus less popular with these five opposite sex peers. And we did find uh, a main effect for men, although I, I should say there was it was small and just for one of the uh, main um, attitude spheres that we measured and it was about casual sex so men we were randomly assigned to be less popular with the five uh, women who were actresses but again they didn't know they were actresses uh, they reported less support for casual sex and casual relationships compared to men who were more popular so it did seem again this um uh, this experiment to somewhat uh, support the the argument that I guess people, the dating market and how popular people are uh, with potential partners seems to affect um, what they think, their beliefs about what other people, what they themselves and other people should be allowed to do, for example, in in the sense of uh, sexual and romantic relationships and these sort of things. And um, But again, it was a small... um, 
effect and we didn't get an effect, for example, for attitudes toward gender roles. So it would be interesting to replicate these studies, do it more with different samples as well. Again, maybe open it up to different sexual orientations as well. But uh, for now, yeah, it seems that there is something in that. <laughs> you mentioned yes. briefly in the study, but we I would be interested also if, like, if a man is rejected by, I'm using archaic terminology, rejected by a one versus rejected by a 10, how that would affect his attitude. Um, like a woman that is, unattractive versus a woman that is attractive would it be the same amount of feelings attached to it yeah that's that's very important we did uh, measure how attracted the men in this study for example where to the women who provided the feedback and on average they did find these women um, um moderately attractive they didn't rate them as uh, yeah the perfect tens out of tens but they did find these women on average moderately attractive so yeah it could have been definitely we could have seen different results if it was for example if they found them very unattractive or if you know it wasn't their type i think i we did look at um how attractive they rated the women and whether that would have influenced uh, any of the results, but so the the individual men's ratings of the women. Uh, but I think it didn't. Like on average, we still found that men, again, we were rated uh, less popular by the women or not rated, but received uh, a mm -hmm. higher number of negative um, videos, uh, negative, negative feedback videos from the women. Um, so, uh, reported less support for casual sex um, than men who were more popular. And we found a mediation effect with positive affect, which was mentioned in the in the title, in the long title that you read earlier, which is that um, it seems that, and we measure actually both positive affect and negative affect. And what positive and negative affect are is basically just uh, positive emotions like happiness, pride, these things for positive affect and negative affect is things like anger uh, or sadness, I believe. And uh, so we found a mediation effect, interestingly, only through positive affect. So what happened is that men who received a higher number of negative feedback videos from women reported lower happiness, lower pride, lower enthusiasm. And that, in turn, made them less uh, accepting of casual sex. Was it the same rate? Like, did they go down as much as the other people went up? Like, did the no, people? No, this is uh, this is uh, something that we couldn't figure out the setup. So this is like a really good question to to look at next. So it's it's unsure whether it was. It, we could just look at the difference between those who received a higher number of negative or positive. Um, <laughs> But we couldn't see whether it was especially um, the men who received more negative feedback who reported more. But I think uh, based on, uh, we did do a, mod a moderation analysis, for example, and um, with sex. And men usually on average across the world, just on average, it doesn't mean all men more than all women, but on average, men do report more support for casual sex than women. It's like a pretty widely reported gender difference. And so in our study, um, we found this sex difference for men and women that were popular with opposite sex um, individuals. So when uh, we looked at that split by gender, we did find that. So it looks like when men were popular uh, or were led to believe they were popular with these five female actresses, um, they reported the usual support for casual sex. And uh, women instead, I should note that uh, their support for casual sex was not affected by, by how popular they were with people of the opposite, with men. And um, whereas at the lower end of the spectrum, people who were led to believe they were unpopular with the five opposite sex peers, men uh, did not report more support for casual sex than women. There actually, there's no sex difference. So this, um, I guess this is speculation, but it, it, it might suggest that it was the men who were unpopular who 
you know, reported less positive emotions and in turn became more against casual sex than the popular men. While the popular men, maybe it didn't change much for them, their support of casual sex. I won't say that this study was based on, but I'm sure that you're influenced by Luca. Please pronounce his last name, Kevin Zaghetto. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yes, Luca yes, Andrigetta's Lonely Hearts and Angry Minds in 19 yeah. was, was an amazing study. Yeah. Um, got that one right here in my yeah. study book. Um, okay. Basically, it says that as men are rejected, they move to the right politically, right? In, in, its, in its smallest, succinct Yeah. Fit. And and then and they in that study I believe they linked it with rights they had rights of immigration and then yours you added like the minimum wage into it yeah. too two variables and two factors that shouldn't have anything to do whatsoever yeah. with dating and yet yeah at least statistically strong enough that it does show that they do now you know I mean would. If you look at evolutionary anthropology and evolutionary psychology, of which you have two degrees, then obviously every each branch has their own reasonings yeah. for where it comes from. I teach uh, my clients that dating is a mix of anthropology, psychology, sociology, and biology. Basically, so is everything we do, because it's like the four yeah. tenets of humanity. But because we need to understand what's going on. Now, when it comes to uh, evolutionary anthropology, how do you feel about the book Sex at Dawn? Which one? Have you read the book Sex at Dawn? Uh, well, I've heard other anthropologists not be excited about the book. How do you feel? I haven't, I haven't read it. Oh, so okay. I don't know. But I know, I know the book. I know the book. So I, but I haven't read it. So I, yeah. <laughs> well, how, but, would you, how would you define some of the difference from the anthropology versus the psychology aspect of it looking at, at human relationships? Well, that's a that's a good question, and I I guess it's <laughs> yeah. There is sometimes there is not a sometimes there are some feuds, so to speak, between the different fields. But really, there shouldn't be because we're all trying to understand human behavior, and especially yeah, I guess from an, an evolutionary perspective, uh, I think is. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's complicated, but I guess in anthropology, there's more of like a cross-cultural uh, study, usually. Anthropology focuses a lot on not just collecting data from um, students at universities in Western countries. So they look more at, you know, or they try to look at, at many different societies oh, yeah. and also um, some traditional societies. And by these, I mean, uh, some societies where even now maybe they practice something like horticulture or hunter gathering. Yeah, in Papua New Guinea, they had, uh, you know, they talk about, and then there, in a lot of, in some of the, if we will, more primitive um, cultures that are around, there tends to be a little bit more uh, matriarchal power than there is in a lot of the Western societies, I think, too. Yeah, I would, uh, if I may, I wouldn't call it primitive simply because I think people think that we, like the the modern societies that there are now, just because they are perhaps more traditional, where again, like they maybe practice horticulture and, and, and stuff is not necessarily like older or, you know, similar to the older societies where we're evolved from but um yes for sure there are in some like uh, smaller uh, communities and um hunter gathering societies there is in the solomon islands i'm pretty sure one time when i was a phd student i was maybe um, almost got into a project that looked at the Solomon Islands and i think there are some matriarchal societies there or at least matrilocal societies um yeah but anyways there's all sorts of yeah um types of uh societal societal structures and uh yeah that a lot of that variation can be seen in some of these um uh, also of smaller societies and smaller communities um and again tra- traditional uh communities um 
but I got a bit lost. <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. We're, we, I like going on tangents. Like, I was like, okay, wait, what, what were we talking about? That's fine. And I've, so, I've got a list of questions and stuff, too, that we can talk about. I'm curious, just in a small thing, you have studied in three of the largest English-speaking Western countries. Yes. Yeah. Are they more similar than not, or uh, do you, are they more dissimilar? And I know that's a large question, and it can be. But, like, usually Australia, Canada, and the U.S., most people don't get to experience those three separate cultures because all are under the larger, you know, territory yeah. of England. But uh, yes. what did you find studying in all these different places? Yeah, it's been it's been fun to be able to, you know, travel and experience all these places. I do have to say, especially from I guess an Italian, a European point of view, um, which is still a Western country, but not an Anglo Western country. Um, I mean, at the risk of offending maybe some people, because I know there are some rivalries, I think they are more oh, yeah. similar than dissimilar. Australia, Canada, and and the US, mm-hmm. but there are there are obviously differences. Um, sometimes subtle differences, sometimes similar differences. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of the, the university system, I think is pretty similar. I mean, like scholars uh, collaborate with each other within in, across these countries a lot. Um, I mean, sometimes the subfields and sub-disciplines are a bit different in each country, but some of the things that are happening, like the U.S., I feel like is always the loudest country where things, political things happen. But in reality, if you look closely, similar things do happen in Canada and Australia. Oh, dude, people say, and America has some reckoning it has to do with race, racism and racial injustice. Mm. Go to another country, and yeah. you will you will see their views on different ethnic groups, and it's different, yeah. to say the least. Um, you know, we're working on it. Where in Italy are you from? Rome. Gotcha. One of my favorite days ever. I had breakfast in Venice, lunch in Florence. No, no, the reverse. Breakfast in Rome, lunch in Florence, and dinner in Venice. That was a fun day. <laughs> Big, then, wow. big, big day. But, uh, yeah, I got that one from Dante up there for you. Oh, uh, yeah. oh nice. Yeah. Um, so how did a school girl in Rome decide she wanted to get into all this stuff? Yeah, another big question, but uh, without like telling me. <laughs> I'm telling you the whole story of my life. <laughs> I will. I will tell you a bit. We've got other um, studies. We'll, we'll bring you on again. We'll, 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 get, we'll get to the depth. No, but I guess it's related to my studies because mm-hmm. um, I mean, in in Italy, there's a lot of this gender politics um, as well. And I guess unconsciously, I guess in retrospect, it's easy to project that I already knew that I was going to study all these things. But I've always been interested since I was. A teenager, yes, in these sort of topics, because yeah, again, like these sort of things are very discussed. It's, it's uh, there are some big issues in Italy, like everywhere, but recently, even like for example, it was on the news all over. Um, a woman was um, murdered by her ex boyfriend. Um, I mean, the the I'm not sure what the motives, but it seems from what the news articles were reporting that he was basically jealous that she left him and she graduated university before him. So something like that. And and so, and, uh, you know, a lot of the times um, these people kind of go unpunished or, you know, the, the justice system doesn't, take care of these things swiftly enough and uh, there's, there's still a lot of gender violence basically and and you hear so often about these cases especially of ex-boyfriend ex-husbands um, hurting or murdering their yeah. ex-partners um, so um, yeah so her name was Julia Cecchettin I believe um, uh, this woman who was uh, who passed recently who was, who was murdered recently in Italy but 
again, like this all, and we have the Catholic Church as well. <laughs> their their influence is still uh, felt in like the political discussions in Italy and the culture here and, too. Yeah. <laughs> so so I've always been interested in these sort of topics, and then when I was uh, toward the end of high school, I. I guess I was always curious to see, to live outside of Italy too. I was uh, quite motivated to kind of go and experience university life in a multicultural dynamic environment. And one summer before my last year of high school, I actually studied at UCLA uh, because their summer sessions are open to everybody just to study English mostly. Coming from Rome to UCLA is, is a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, but it was a fun. I, I have to say, I, I love you. I love UCLA. That's on my. It, well, was, even it was a great time for the U.S. Southern California is its yes. own creature, right? <laughs> yes. It's its so, own. Like, uh, I cannot say that I experienced, you know, <laughs> everywhere in the like the places that I experienced were very, um, you know, big cities and multicultural environments. Um, yeah, it's you realize. I mean, and the people are more. Cities are more like cities in other countries yeah. Than, yeah. than, you know, it's like you have progressive thought, you have ports, you have ideas being shifted around, you have yeah. languages and cultures and usually good curry. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, kind of going back to what we we're unfortunately talking about of murdering yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and one of the stuff that you have gotten into more and yeah. I find fascinating in its own fucked up in this is the incels and that it's not even men murdering their ex-girlfriends it's men murdering someone that has either rejected them or that they don't even know exists because of perceived slights mate value etc etc and when you start linking a lot of these studies together it paints a pretty dark picture men are well you've got you know you know how messed up men are right now. So you've got like men that are yeah. not going to do as well for the first time as their fathers in 200 years, a whole bunch of shame. You have women doing better and crushing the glass ceiling. So you, you have mismatched socioeconomic dating, thus men are getting rejected more so, which is pushing them even further right, which is creating this echo chamber, not like still on the fence whether the internet was a good idea. Because you had the one weirdo per town, but now all those weirdos got together and created 4chan, and now there's just an echo chamber that they're not interested in changing. They're interested, yeah. They seem to be interested in validating their experience through the pain of women. I, I mean, um, to be... I guess to be the play devil's advocate, right? <laughs> like I'm sure, like there are incels that are not violently misogynistic and wish harm on on women. Like there are many men that don't get that that would love. Well, like, there's there's people that are men. involuntary celibate, yeah, and then they're incels. You yes, know, and, like yeah, exactly. And I think um, William Costello, which I'm who I'm sure you may have heard of, his name pretty sure I'm pronouncing it right, William Costello. I think he's doing a PhD with David Bass right now in Texas. Good, I'll look him up. He does a lot of stuff on incels, and I'm sure he would know more than me, but I remember having met him and read some of his stuff. Is a lot of incels um, haven't engaged in, in violence, thankfully, for how many there are, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. of course, there have been very eclectic, like, uh, cases where there were terrorist attacks like in toronto uh there was that yep. man who drove the bus in uh, the van into the crowd um in santa barbara there was the other incident of that um young man who would shoot up maybe into a sorority or anyways he had like an incel manifesto yeah yeah um and um so all of this to say, I guess, like not all people that are in, again involuntary, or not all men that um, you have to say, it, I guess. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Not all gun owners are irresponsible. <laughs> and, Still doesn't mean we need to have guns all over the place. 
yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so some do though. Like, and the, the I guess the the most uh, the the loud voices again online. It seems like they are definitely extremely misogynistic. Uh, but um, I think maybe against some of um, the discourse that has been going on in the past um, few years, I think there's always been this like group of men that are not able to find because it's always and in the past even more so uh in societies like Genghis Khan for example you know when like there was modern China yeah exactly that have a lot of um partners and a lot of men that um remain unpartnered because they're not able to attract so I don't know maybe there would be like I I have to look uh I guess like it would be interesting to see if there's any quantification of that how many men um i, I mean there could be figured out more uh right now i i see always trending that graphs of the past 20 years and stuff that there is an increase in men that are not having sex that a lot of people are showing that there's and it no seems to be a trend but i i don't know like um and uh i know rob brooks one of my um PhD supervisors was at UNSW in Sydney has looked at this too and definitely the fact that hypergamy so the average tendency for women to choose to marry someone who um, for example has a higher salary or is more educated than them uh, yeah that, that would cause issues in the marriage market when um, there are fewer men that are, or women, there are more women that are extremely high educated and extremely... That's happening here in New York City a yeah, lot. Yeah, but at the same time, like, I think, I don't know, I think some people, and again, the, the public discourse is focusing so much on this, but like, I don't know, like, there's always been these conflicts between men and women. And obviously, I don't think that anyone is suggesting that, but the solution is obviously not for women to stop, you know, getting their education or getting high paying jobs. I think. <laughs> but there doesn't, I, I think there is going to be a is. reckoning because to, to your point, yeah. well, here in the United States, the last year that more men graduated college than women was yeah. 1980, 1982. Yeah. And so that, you know, the, I'm sure you know some of these things too, but for the listeners, like the gap is getting larger and larger every year. And it, Again, I'm going to overgeneralize, we're oversimplifying. We can find, you know, exceptions to every everything that we're saying. But 30 years ago, you didn't hear the language from men saying, my wife has to have the same degree as me. She has to have the same level of schooling as me. She has to be able to talk business with me. She has to make as much as I do. Yeah. We just wanted someone to love us. Mm -hmm. um, oversimplifying, obviously, again. But now you hear this wordage coming from the other side of it um and i find it humorous and sad that women have crushed the heteronormative behaviors of the glass ceiling you know that they're they're bosses and ceos and all that kind of stuff but again over over generalizing adamantly refuse to let go of the heteronormative behavior of dating up or at least equal there's no more up and so this is, especially here in New York City, right? There's approximately five women to every three guys. So immediately you're in a buyer-seller's market issue. Um, and so the good girls, if you will, are overshadowed by flashy women that the men can't necessarily see by. And so they don't necessarily want to compete at that level with the flashy women and then they complain there's no good men but at the same time there's a big asterisk on that five to three and that's college education it's 50 50 otherwise in, in new york city and so when i sit down with my boss babes i try to like tell me what is the most important thing for you is it intimacy is it love is it yeah. partnership is it family is it, you know, all these may be in the same package, but they're all individual things that we need to figure out. If you have a PhD, I understand there's going to be a certain level of intellect you probably want. Just someone that can at least see the world 
through a similar lens. Um, but as I sit down, like, there's just not enough of what people want anymore. And so I think there's going to have to be a reckoning on both sides. Men have to learn how to deal with being a provider that is not financial. And yeah, exactly. I guess like there's so many things like I think is reductive. It is true that on average women on average, so mm-hmm. again, like yeah. not everybody, but do uh, there is still this preference for, for example, marrying up in the sense of economically, financially. Of course. But I think like I don't know if it's like as you know fixed and immutable as we think. And I think we have seen, again, this like incredible progress for women finding jobs and getting educated, but we haven't seen this like a social support. I think there's still this hypergamy thing, like women wanting to vary up because there is not a lot of social security nets. And so like inflation is going crazy. Like I wonder also like looking at, Scandinavian countries and stuff and stuff like that, if there is as much of this hypergamy when they're actually, you know, have all this like paternity, like, you know, maternity and paternity leave and so much social support. That's it, right there. And, um, and I might be biased, but like, for example, <laughs> in a lot of my friend group, like, all, like because I did a PhD and stuff, a lot of my friends, uh, graduates from UCLA, my UCLA friends, they don't have necessarily partners who are more educated than them or have higher salaries than them, but they're lovely people. And, you know, and so like, I, I like, I mean, I understand that like, what people talk about, like the discourse is definitely true of this situation. Um, but I, again, I think hypergamy, like this desire for marrying up for women is, it's not immutable. And again, like it, like with social things and even again, like maybe I'm biased because even within my family, my mom was making more money than my dad. Uh, <laughs> my right, we're, we're getting, but <laughs> yeah. you know, the heart and the mind yeah. don't connect because the head yeah. could easily say, I don't care. Yeah. But if my wife out earns me, same thing. Why? Because I'm attracted to powerful women. <laughs> but you had to figure out yeah. what do I bring to the table? You know, and yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. that's, and men have had one staple for thousands of years and that's i don't have to have a personality i just have to have a job again oversimplifying and now that that tent pole is completely removed yeah and men are struggling because we've i mean i grew up with spike tv and maxim magazine so it wasn't exactly good teaching men how to work in this world and how to be in touch with their emotions and all things like that but men do like to be a provider, and that's fine. Yeah. I think that they no, just need to know what it is that they're providing yeah. in their relationship. Yeah, and there are data for sure that show at, uh, like that if uh, the woman in a relationship out-earns the man, is more likely the relationship to end up in divorce, for example. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, yep. Like that. Like, there are yep. these data. But I would still think that women starting to out-earn men and – getting more educated than them is so new that we're yeah, still they don't know what thinking. like we we will see i think a change especially if that change is accompanied in a way where people have a more secure social security net sorry not the best word choice but like you know yeah no i know what you mean and you're not in such trouble that it's so hard to buy a house and all this that you need to <laughs> you want yeah. to probably someone that is an incredibly high earner because it's so hard to <laughs> to live with the inflation like i think that plays like a a, a central role in all this and even like a lot of people are super concerned like i hear it so much in podcasts and stuff on all these sort of topics that are concerned that the birth rates are falling in in Western everywhere. Uh, in, in, I mean, in Western countries more so. I, I think yeah, in, yeah. in a lot of African countries and 
in India, I think. Is you know why a lot of the African countries are going up to? Because the Catholic Church has realized that's the only place they can get new converts. So the Catholic Church is promoting heavily yeah. in Africa right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we've got like South Korea's birth rate is like 0.6, you know, or something like that. And now, also, like, compared to here, just to add to that point, like, uh, access to birth control is, of course, are there, like, people don't have access. But, anyways, yeah, to going back to Western countries, there's this problem. And uh, the discourse, to me at least, it seems always on this podcast, always, again, because. Uh, people it's harder to form relationships and women again be uh, men and women that again there's no long-term relationship because of this problem that women don't have anyone to marry up but I think for me the problem is that it's become so expensive to leave us like of course that contributes like we are seeing that uh, there are more single people more single women uh, more women were unmarried uh, recently um and childless but um even for people who manage to have relationships i think we're seeing this decline in birth rates because again it's so um expensive to and some people it's like having five kids now is like the flex of having five cars like yeah. 30 years ago like oh my god they can afford five kids how do they how do they do that yeah, yeah. well and this i mean this 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 happens in every technologically advanced culture. The birth rate goes down because you do not need the kids on the farm working it. So it's sort of a point towards progress. You know, the the better, the more collective we are. Yeah. And that's something too, like I would be curious of how this data works out in collective versus individual cultures. You know, because a lot of Western yeah. cultures are very indiv- individualistic. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the, um, a lot of Asian countries or, or different cultures like Judaist, uh, Jewish cultures within cultures are a little, more, a little bit more uh, collective. And I'd love to see how, you know, how that bears out sometimes as well, too. Um, yeah. Do you, how do you bring this information into your own romantic life, whether you are with someone or whether you are not with some? How does this, like, affect your life? Because you have more information maybe than you should have. All of us. Like, <laughs> well, um, I, I don't mind sharing that I am married and I've been in a relationship with my husband for a long time. So I, I don't know if I actually, yeah, before I started my PhD, I've been in the same relationship. So I haven't experienced myself being in the dating market nowadays. So I'm, recently, oh, dude, I get back from my clients. I tell my wife, I'm just like, I'm so glad I'm not out there right now. It seems a little bit more challenging than when I was single. Yeah, I so in just anecdotal evidence of <laughs> myself, I haven't experienced firsthand, but well, I think COVID um, did a number on people too. You know, yeah. no one before COVID was saying the state of dating is great. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, you throw in this unresolved collective trauma, stunted social muscles, lack of support. Yeah, it's it's uh, lack of, like, many men, especially, like, in New York City, they haven't been physically touched in weeks mm. or months, yeah. you know? And even, like, the when sometimes these women go out on the dates and, like, he did not stop talking, I'm like, his fault. I just want to let you know that you might be the only person he's talked to in two months, mm-hmm. which is why he basically just, and again, we're all responsible for our own actions. Mm-hmm. But it's also important to understand what's going on with the opposite sex or with people in general so that you can, you know, forearmed is forewarned or, you know, the reverse, whichever the way it's supposed to be. But the more data you have, now I can choose how do I want to use this data to maximize my benefits. And Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting out there. And I'm just, yeah. I don't actually, there's so many more things I'd love to delve in, like the fact that bi and pan women report higher self-perceived attractiveness, um, you know, uh, and then like some of the studies were ages between 20 and 30, and some of the studies were ages between 20 and 60. So I'd be curious to see how per- self-perception changes per decade, you know, those sort of things too. Um, what what kind of follow up studies would you like to do with sort of the, the the knowledge that you have now? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think I would be interested. Well, now I kind of like looking at testosterone as well as as you said, like right at the beginning, my introduction. So I'm looking at um, how testosterone might affect dating and parenting as well, and changes in testosterone levels. I have um, done this experiment that I'm trying to <laughs> to publish now, um, where we um, randomly assigned, actually it was a within subject study. So we had men come into the lab twice, and one time they were given placebo and one time testosterone. Um, and after that, uh, they watched uh, a video of a woman and the woman, half of the men were assigned to watch a video of a woman who wore more conservative clothing and half of the men were randomly assigned to watch a video of a woman wearing more revealing clothing. And we uh, then asked the man to rate the woman on several characteristics on their personality, on the emotions they thought she was able to feel. And so all the men that were assigned to seeing the video of a woman, of a woman um, wearing more revealing clothing, they humanized her in the sense that they uh, rated her as less capable of feeling uniquely human emotions compared to the types of emotions that we share with other animals, like fear and pain. So they thought that she was less able to feel things like rage or... Uh, so like an object. Yeah. Um, and one of the studies on testosterone that I have found fascinating, not necessarily studies, but yeah. in trans people, trans folk, trans yeah. men, because they have the ability yeah. to look at their life beforehand, yeah. then they start taking the tea, and yeah. then they like, and I've read some really interesting stuff that like, friends like, all I want to do is fucking fight. Like, is this how you guys walk through life like mm -hmm. every day? Like, mm, you know, maybe in your teens and 20s, but yeah, testosterone, <laughs> and then. This where we find some disconnect with testosterone too is we have women in their forties or fifties, estrogen drops, testosterone is more pronounced, and they're in their second stage of life. They're ready to go out and conquer the world and go skydiving. And the men hit fifty and their testosterone goes down. They broke their back for fifty years. All they want to do now is just sit down and not do anything. And yeah. so that can create dissonance in and of itself. Um and that lack of testosterone. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I say that this is that uh, one of the reasons I love being in this industry is it's the second, I mean, it's the second largest drive in the human body other than staying alive, right? Is to, is to put it on. And so it is human nature under literal steroids. You know, we just have the endocrine system just flooding our brain with all sorts of stuff that we really have no control over how we're going to feel about these things and then kind of expected to figure it out on our own without much instruction. Yeah. Um, so now I guess the last question I'll have is now that you know all of this information, if somebody has listened to this whole thing, what, how does this affect someone in their everyday life? Now that I know this, how can I go forward in my life being better? No pressure. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, you know, I I don't know if it actually works because I would like to say knowledge is power, but in everyday life, I think some of these feelings and reactions like in this experiment are quite unconscious. It's not that people do it consciously, but I guess... Is that implicit versus explicit? Biases? Yeah, I guess, or or just like like even though they reported less support for casual sex, it's not that. Well, some people, for example, in the experiment, might have uh, felt like, oh, I got rejected, so you know what, it's not okay to have casual sex. But some people might have not made this thought explicitly. They just mm -hmm. were affected mm -hmm. by the feedback, and like I guess you know, unconsciously, they were more. So, men, get in touch with your feelings. Know well, why you yes. feel things. I, I guess. I think it would be more for the men, especially do, who are rejected, like, um, often, I think, and I know it's nothing new, but 
to try to to understand not to take out that on women and because the worst thing that you can do to continue to be rejected is to put out all this violent violently your mindset like people can sense it male or female right off the bat like it's it's absolutely true that there are some men and some women you know like because there are a lot of women who get rejected a lot too and on average it happens men, but like it happens all the time to and women so, that get rejected, like there was hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned. Like there's a there's a whole study in there somewhere yeah. too, because it goes to the assumption that if a woman is ready to hand out her product, that the man will automatically want to buy it. That's yeah. not the way it is. It's just also that's what society tells us that men are one hundred percent of the time always ready at the drop of a hat for anything. Yeah. Yeah, so um, to finish the thought, um, as I given though, again, there's for sure some men that are more popular and some men that I'm sure, you know, I've experienced a lot of rejection. You do have to keep trying, just try to be a nice, decent human being. And, you know, you might meet someone. I think the problem is the self-fulfilling prophecy for them that they say, I've tried everything that I can and I'll never find someone and then holding yeah. again all these negative stereotypes in the US. One of the things I, uh, and... I work hard with my men, my, my male clients, to remove the ego from this process. Mm. If you get rejected, it is not a reflection of everything that you are, have been, and will be. That's how it's felt. But once I, like I was, I used to be a, um, an actor. So oh. what the word that I heard the most all the time no and so what did i hear you're not good enough smart enough blah 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 blah. whatever my own insecurities were when in fact it could have just been you're not right for the part yeah. and when i could kind of translate that into the dating world like one of the things that, like if you go up to someone and it doesn't work out what did you actually lose uh seven seconds yeah that's it everything else is in your head that doesn't mean it's not hard and that doesn't mean it's not difficult to get over but it does mean that we're in full control of how we want to feel about the situation and so when we can start to remove the ego that it is not an attack upon us, then you yeah. can just, you can, yeah, you can start to assuage those feelings and just move on to talk to the next person and not internalize it. So, well, yeah. we'll work on that. We'll try and solve love this year. I'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be all over that. Thank you so much for, for no coming. Worries. I'm glad we could finally find some time to sit down yeah. and talk about this. Um, find some more of your studies or uh, I love the fact that you kept referring to Liberty T20. I'll have to uh, get that um, as well too. And if you know Luca, I want to talk to Luca. Okay. No, I don't know him personally, but I cited, I knew that study because I cited it in my, in my work. I mean, it's sort of like a place that I think a lot of studies have piggybacked off of to see where it's going. Um, Yeah. Well, and let's all keep our fingers crossed that society and relationships and men or women are going in the right direction. And uh, <laughs> namaste to all of that. Thank you for being here. I look forward to speaking again and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hunt for Relationship Science. If you like what you heard here and you'd like to learn more, please check out my articles and videos at huntforadvice.com. You can also follow me at Quest for Advice on Instagram, as well as find me on LinkedIn. And please follow all of our guests as well. You can find their information in the liner notes. I'm Hunt, signing off, changing the world one smile at a time.